Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind Podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin. I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. Today, my guest is Joe Isley, and he is author of the book, Leaving Drug and Alcohol Addictions for Good, How Biochemical Restoration Radically Improves Your Chances of Recovery. So on this episode, Joe is going to share his own harrowing journey of recovery and how he went through, I would say, hell and back to get sober and finally find some sobriety and then find some long-term recovery through not just getting sober, but also understanding his own biochemistry and being able to restore that as part of the process. And he talks about how he uses that in helping clients get long-term recovery and really build the, the lives they want by taking a truly holistic approach to treatment. So I hope you get a lot out of this episode. And if you're getting a lot out of the podcast, please write us a review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That really does help the podcast get found. I really appreciate it. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Addicted Mind Podcast or join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind Podcast and click join. All right, stay tuned for this episode. Everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind. And today my guest is Joe Isley. He is the author of the book, Leaving for Good. How Biochemical Restoration Radically Improves Our Chances of Recovery. So, Joe, I'm excited to have you on the podcast and to talk about this because recovery is more than just being sober. It's 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 a lot more than that. And and we really want to be able to thrive in our lives and and create a life that we want. So I'm glad to have you on and to to talk about this. So, Joe, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and and we'll jump in. Yeah, my name's Joe Isley. I've been treating addictions for the last 40 years in uh, Southern Colorado, Fort Collins, Loveland area. But I grew up in, in Southern California, came out here about 45 years ago, and am uh, the clinical director and the owner of Interbalance Health Center. Got, I got married, I have, I have three kids, I have four grandkids. So, yeah. So you got a whole story there. 
whole, <laughs> whole story yeah. waiting to be told. So tell us a little bit about what got you into this work and, and why you're passionate about this, and particularly why you're passionate about this biochemical restoration and, and what that actually means and why that's so important for recovery. But before we go there, I, I, I want to hear your story a little bit about what got you into this work. Yeah, and a lot of my story is in the book, along with my writer and her son who struggled with an addiction. So you get three perspectives with someone who's been through it and recovered, a family member who was living in it, and we helped her son get well. And he's got, I think, probably eight or 10 years sobriety. He's married, doing great. Uh, I grew up in Southern California. I had a lot of struggles when I was a kid. I was a shy kid. I couldn't make very many friends. I, I didn't understand that or it didn't make sense to me. I would spend a lot of time at home alone playing with army men and things like that. I remember my mom took me to a birthday party. A friend in school was having it, and I was probably about seven, six or seven, and I, I ended up gravitating to the garage and playing with the, some stuff in the garage. I had a hard time connecting. I also had a lot of night terrors. I had, I, I, it was hard for me to sleep. And I would stay awake some nights until the sun came up. And the thoughts in my head were constantly somebody's trying to get in the house. You know, we lived in a ranch-style uh, house with trees overhanging the roof. And anytime I'd hear a noise. So I lived in that tear at night. But then when I woke up and the sun came up, that went away. It was gone. And I didn't even think it was going to happen again the next night. But went on and on. I remember trying to sleep with my parents. They got tired of that after a week. and close their bedroom door and I'd sleep at the foot of the door. And that went on through school. And then it, it went on through junior high. I had a hard time. I remember trying to avoid kids because I couldn't think of what to say. I couldn't get any thoughts in my head. I was home one day with a bad cold, coughing. And my mom comes in and says, drink this. She gave me a spoonful of this liquid. I drank, drank it down. I was watching TV. She went shopping. And about 30, 40 minutes later, this incredible, peaceful feeling came over me. I'd never felt that before. It was euphoric. It was a great feeling. And I sat and stared at that TV probably for two hours, not even changing the channel. Eventually, that feeling went away. I didn't quite understand it. The next day, she gave me some more of this red liquid, which was codeine cough syrup. And I loved that feeling. And there is a connection I can talk about later about histidalia, high histamine, and opiates, lower histamine levels. I knew nothing about that. I didn't know about that for a long time in recovery and even in this field until later. So like, just to like understand, so as a, as a kid, you, you're living under all of this kind of, I yes. guess I would look at it like stress and and anxiousness and and not really knowing that that's there but but living in it not knowing how to deal with it and then all of a sudden you get this this thing that just takes that away it's like oh my gosh i didn't know like that you could feel this other way <laughs> you could feel this good absolutely so that good feeling went away i went back to school but i couldn't you're right i couldn't get that that thought out of my head of how great that felt so one day, my mom was out shopping. I went down into her bathroom, opened up the medicine cabinet, and there was that bottle of red codeine. I started taking little sips out of it every few days to try to get that feeling, and it kind of worked. 
But then after a while, that bottle's going down, and I got nervous. So I, one day I looked at the left, and there was a big pill bottle. And I looked at it and says, take one every four hours for pain. So I thought, well, if that coating did that, maybe this will work too. So I took a couple. I was a little bit nervous, but my, my uncle was a physician giving her these things. So I figured, you know, it's not going to hurt her. It's not going to hurt me. There are big kind of pinkish gray, big capsules. I took a couple out, tried one, and sure enough, I got a great feeling from that Darvon, which is just another opiate. So that started wow. my journey. I couldn't keep taking these pills. So my parents had a pretty good liquor cabinet. They used to have friends over and stuff. So I started trying alcohol, experimenting. And uh, oh, it was awful in the beginning. It burned. But I saw what it did for my parents and their friends. They came in kind of stuffed up. And after an hour of drinking, they started laughing and having fun. So I kept drinking. And eventually, I got that great feeling from alcohol. Not quite as great as, as the codeine, but good enough. So I started sneaking alcohol out. And I remember one of the, I had a good friend, Herb. I had one friend in junior high and then into high school, well, the beginning of high school. And I remember one day inviting, one night inviting Herb over. My parents were having a party and, and I said, let's drink. Let's, and he said he was up for it. So I snuck some scotch out and we're in my bedroom drinking, drinking, getting high, getting drunk. We, we climb out, we get on the wind, the back door and we got on our bikes, went up to the bowling alley, drunk, coming back, falling off our bikes. We ripped our clothes, get, getting over the fence. We went into my bedroom, passed out. One of us, I think it was her, threw up. The next morning, I'll never forget this. This is telling because I, I looked at Herb and I said, wasn't that fun? He said, hell no, I hated it. I don't want to feel that way ever again. And he never did. He, he didn't wow. drink for a long time until he got married. I'm still in contact with him, but that tells me there's a difference between the way I reacted and the way he reacted. He didn't like it. And I love that out of control feeling. But anyway, yeah, I that, mean, like the, like the, the, it settled something in you. It, it shifted yeah. some, some chemical reaction in your brain yeah. that it, he what didn't it, need that or didn't do it for him. What it did, Dwayne, what it did is it took away my shyness. I started mm. making friends in high school. I started, I, I started hanging around with kids who drank. And we started drinking on the weekends. We started partying. Yes, it affected my grades through high school. And I got in trouble with my dad and for coming home, you know, late or coming home drunk. And But it was no big deal because all my friends were doing it. So it wasn't out of the ordinary. So it, it wasn't. It, until, go ahead. It, yeah, I was just going to say, so it didn't just take away that anxious feeling. It actually gave you something else as well, which is this ability to be social, have friends, interact and and all the desire to do that so it like added these two elements it was the solution that i'd been looking for absolutely and i loved it and i had a love affair with drugs and alcohol in, in high school we'd sneak in our parents cabinets and steal the drugs we could we had a friend working in a liquor store and we'd call up and he'd deliver us liquor so it, my life was all about that and i loved it i had a girlfriend i got a girlfriend now I stole this girlfriend from a big football player. I was so proud of that. But <laughs> about a year out into that, still in high school, I was going to pick her up and we were going to go somewhere. And I got real drunk before I was going to pick her up. I knocked on the door. Her mother opened the door and I passed out. That was the end of that relationship. Wow. So it didn't start hitting me bad until out of high school. A lot of my friends started settling down. 
going to college, doing things. Tony and I didn't, and a few couple other friends, we kept partying. I got a fake ID, started hanging out in bars. Eventually, my hangout was a golden rooster as I got older, 21, 22, really drinking a lot. I was living in an apartment, little dumpy apartment in Santa Monica, and I was starting to get into trouble. I was starting to black out. I was starting to, I would go down to the Golden Rooster for a while. Then I'd go to the boathouse on the, on the, on the, um, in Santa Monica. And then at two o'clock, I'd come out drunk and trying to find my car. One time I passed out in a phone booth. These crazy episodes were happening more and more. My parents got scared. I was starting to get a little bit nervous because my life was screwed up. Well, they got me in college. Tony and I went to college. Second year, I had to drop out because I was partying every night, drinking. It was out of control. So they they got me into the first psych hospital I was in was uh, UCLA Psych Hospital. I went in there for a month. What happened in there, and I know we have a lot of time. I don't want to tell this, but okay. it's funny. It's okay. At this, the, the, if you've been there a week and you're doing good, and they never treated you for drug and alcohol. This is, Jesus, this was... 50 years ago, maybe they, what they did is you sit in a group, talk about your emotional problems. And they thought if they could fix that, then you'd be okay. Well, right. I zero. So they let you come, go out and t- to Westwood, a town, right? Where UCLA is. It's a, on a Saturday to see how you do. So they let me out. I'm wandering around. It's lunchtime. I stop into a Mexican restaurant. Guess what was on the menu? Margaritas. <laughs> My mind said, you can have one of those. It'll be okay. Drank a margarita, had another margarita, ended up going to bars, ended up at two o'clock knocking on the door of this hospital. All these bells go off. They are so pissed. I was grounded the rest of the time I was in there. They didn't understand about alcoholics. Right. Uh, that they didn't get it. One of, one of four mental hospitals that I was in in Southern California. Brockman Memorial, same kind of thing. Uh, the worst was Camarillo State Hospital. I could tell stories about that, but, and then Santa Monica, St. John's Hospital. None Some of these. really, really Santa- dark, dark moments and dark times. I mean, dark. that's re- really, really hard. And I would imagine at the time you're overwhelmed, you're filled with guilt, shame, anxiousness, depression, all of that stuff going in there and uh, how hard and difficult knew, that is. But what I knew and the only solution I had for exactly what you talked about was more alcohol or drugs. Right. Yeah. I had three doctors giving me drugs. Two of them, I don't think, were doing it maliciously. One was in Venice. He would Saturday morning he'd have young people lined outside his office. You go in, and and they said, Joe, what do you need today? Well, I'm kind of having pains, maybe pain medication. I can't sleep, and he'd give it to you. The other two, I think, were trying to help, but they were giving me benzos. I got addicted to benzos for ten years chlorohydrate sleeping pills. I mean, I was doing elephant tranquilizers. I was really out of control. So to, to speed it up, because I do want to talk about this biochemical stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. What, what was the moment where you, you kind of said, okay, this is the change I got to make? I, you know, that, 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 that shift on the path. The shift happened. I was out of control for two weeks, living out of a suitcase. I got kicked out of my apartment. I have $200 to my name. I, my friends would kick me out because I'd steal their drugs. I met this cab driver. We drove around Hollywood, partying, out of control. Somehow my mother found out about it through my brother, and she told my brother, we got to get him back into the hospital, Brock Memorial. My brother contacted me and said, let's go to the horse track Sunday, Santa Anita. I said, yeah, yeah, let's go do that. 
he, he and his friend picked me up, but they took me back to Brockman Memorial. They went in with my suit, this baggage, this thing of drugs. And I wasn't in there, but I can gear, I think I know what happened is those people said, we can't admit him on these drugs. This is illegal. So we don't want this. You got to get out of here. So they dumped my, me and my suitcase in the lobby of this hotel. My mother would occasionally bring me home. I could go home for a week or two, clean up, eat, and then I'd go back out doing my thing. Well, so I figured I had nowhere to go. And I called my mom in the waiting room and I'll never forget this day. I said, Mom, I think I need to come home and rest. And then all of a sudden, I hear the tears on the other end of the phone, and she's crying. And she says, Joe, you're killing yourself, and you're killing me. I cannot do this anymore. She didn't say one-way ticket, one way ticket, but she said, I'll buy you a ticket to Colorado. I had a cousin in Colorado in Fort Collins. It was in AA. I said, all right, Mom. My brother came and picked me back up, took me to the airport. They weren't going to let me on the plane. I was so messed up, but my brother convinced them that my cousin was going to pick me up. They wouldn't let anybody sit next to me on the plane. Somebody tried to sit there, and the stewardess said, no, this is reserved. That's how messed up I was. I ended up in the worst snowstorm in January in Denver in my California clothes. My cousin picked me up, took me to her house, put me in an unfinished concrete basement with a mattress and a jug of water, and I shook for three days. Bugs oh. coming out of the wall, hearing voices. She got scared. So she took me to the psychiatrist, Dr. Ken Ash. I sat in his office. He said, how can I help you, young man? And I couldn't talk. So he immediately put me in the hospital. They did not know how to treat benzos back then. So and I'd been addicted for 10 years. They put me in the hospital on some old antidepressant, and I shook for a week. He said, I think you should go to treatment. I went up to treatment up into Estes, uh, Harmony Foundation, 12-step program. I went there. I wanted to get well. I worked at it. I did what I was told. It was difficult. I was still depressed, anxious, couldn't sleep. My mind raced, but I tried and I worked at it. I got out. I worked at it for, for six months in an AA. I didn't like AA because I, I was so full of anxiety. I couldn't share in meetings, but I went to a dentist to get a root canal. And afterwards he says, here, Joe, you might want these for the pain. A little voice inside said, you better, oh, what the heck, I can handle it. That started a two-year relapse on and off, trying to AA, make AA work, back through treatment, came out of treatment, 12-step program, uh, talk therapy. I went back to visit a gal I met, in, and it's what happens a lot, in treatment, Chicago, relapsed, horrible relapse. I came back to Fort Collins, desperate, a lot of pain. They wouldn't let me back in treatment. The doctor wouldn't give me anything to help for the withdrawal. So I got in this old beat up Oldsmobile I had and I was driving from Loveland, about a 20 minute drive to Fort, to, from Fort Collins to Loveland. There was a, a meeting, a meeting there. I didn't know why I was going, but I remember this drive all the way down. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. If there's a God, why are you doing this to me? Why am I so much pain? And I'd b break out in tears. And I had the yeah. thought that all I have turn the wheel to the right and end it all. But I didn't. Two miracles happened to me that night. One, when I got there, there's about 10 people. I never shared in AA meetings. When it came to me, I said, my name's Joe. I'm an alcoholic. I think I'm going to die and I can't stop drinking. There's a little lady, Ida Mae Stevens, sitting next to me. She knew me in AA. She looked at me, turned and put her finger in my face and said, Joe, Joe you've got to get a sponsor. That took that night. I went and got a sponsor. And that started my journey into what I call sobriety. I wasn't drinking. I was working with a sponsor. I was doing what I was told. I was working the steps. 
my life was getting better, but I was still anxious. I couldn't sleep more than an hour a night. The depression right. was off the chart. Anxiety was off the charts. I hated who I was. I didn't have any future. I had no education, all of that stuff. But I was staying sober for about nine months. I walked into a bookstore one day. I went to the health section. I pulled out this book by Dr. Broda Barnes. It was about the thyroid. I looked at the symptoms. And I had these symptoms to a T. One of the things I did when I was younger, I'd swallow toothpaste. You know what's in toothpaste? Fluoride. You know what fluoride does to the thyroid? Not good. Wow. So I had all these symptoms of the thyroid. So I found a doctor down in Denver, and he said, yeah, Joe, you've got not only, yeah, you have a thyroid problem. So he started me on medication. And that I started to feel better, sleep a little bit better. So then I started thinking, well, geez, if that's wrong with me, what else could be out of whack causing these problems? So I found a holistic doctor a few months later, Terry Grossman in Denver. He just started a holistic practice. I went to him and he found out I had lead, mercury, arsenic in my body, where it came from, we don't know. Somewhere on that little kind of ranch place, it was small, but I grew up. Um, right. I had adrenal exhaustion, two little glands that sit on the kidneys that secrete very important hormones. Pregnant alone for memory concentration, DHE for energy, testosterone, women, more estrogens. My adrenal glands were shot. So I wasn't getting these important hormones. So he started treating my adrenal glands. He did a four-hour glucose tolerance test. I'd been eating, I'd been drinking a six-pack of pop a day most of that life. Uh, I was eating sugar like you couldn't believe. I was eating McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken. I was not getting any of these healthy amino acids for these neurotransmitters in my brain. Serotonin for depression, GABA for anxiety, and dopamine. He started so, giving me these so, amino acids. I mean, yes. I, yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you, you really went through everything, you know, four different psych hospitals and trying all these things. And then there's this moment where you could get a little bit of time in and then all of a sudden, you know, seeing that book, it started to open up these questions, it started to say, wait a minute, maybe there's more to me than just my willpower, just my, you know, as, as a lot of people, you know, when there's a lot of shame and addiction, it's like all, you know, I'm, I'm a horror. I'm just, I messaged to be a horrible person, but realizing there's actually something going on here. There's something going on in my biology. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I had, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I had a condition called histadelia. A lot of young kids are getting diagnosed with this with ADD or ADHD. Histamine is, is a chemical in the brain. We all have it. It's what fires our neurons. It gives us thought. If you have too much histamine, it means your mind is racing too much. That's why I couldn't connect with kids when I was younger. I couldn't slow my mind down to connect, to get words out of my brain. High histamine people, if you, it's, it's easy to look this up in Google. This stuff is right out there. There's nothing we make up. Uh, racing mind, anxiety, depression, insomnia, OCD, addictions, uh, perfectionism, risk takers, need for control, all of that can come from elevated histamine in the brain. And I had it. I didn't know it back then. I didn't know it until I got into this field. So you started to put these pieces together. So you started to like, oh, wait a minute, there's something else going on here. Yes, yes. This has got to be more than just not drinking. I mean, because if you look at if you look at any of the studies that have been done for the last 80 years, the only mode of treatment, two things, talk therapy, and then they get into pharmaceutical drugs. That's about it. 
And right. that does nothing for the brain and the body, the mind, all these imbalances that can be going on in the body and the brain. Yeah. So that kind of started me thinking about, and then eventually I, I found a physician up here in Fort Collins, Dr. Jackson Field, holistic physician. She got me off the junk food, the sugar. Uh, she got me exercising and, uh, and she was doing some more tests, found out I got some other stuff going. And then I got in the field kind of a roundabout way. I don't need to go into the story, but I started working with young kids who had addictions. And then I got certified, worked in a, uh, a DUI program. And then this Dr. Ash, who he was specializing in alcoholism, he asked me to join a team. We started up an outpatient program. I did that for 15 years. But this whole time, working with clients in, 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 in Seven Lakes, always wondering about them. Why, you know, we, but they didn't want to go in that direction. They were more traditional. So eventually, after 15 years, I said, I got to do this. So I got it. I left there. I found a partner, opened up Inner Balance, got a doctor, holistic doctor. And that was about 25 years ago. And then we started very rudimentary. It was outpatient. And then we just built up, built up from there. We're, today, we're a residential program. We do all kinds of labs. We do more labs in the Cooper Institute. The only drugs we might use, we have to use, is for detox. After that, we use vitamins, minerals, amino acids, essential fatty acids, a lot of stuff, because we have to reduce drastically or eliminate the depression, anxiety, difficulty sleeping, or these people, like I did, are going to gravitate back to drugs and alcohol, or they'll go to a doctor and get on antidepressants and anxiety medication, which can be a disaster, in my opinion. I I don't like those. If they work for somebody, that's fine. But I've seen so many people where either they stop working or there's so many side effects. So that's how we got going. So you started to see that that you had to take care of your body too. You couldn't just get sober. That you you these things are so interconnected, and so this is where that biochemical restoration comes in. So can you kind of talk about like? how that was in your own life, and then how you start to do that with clients and, and why bringing that holistic approach is so critical to the recovery process because we're, we're whole beings. And that's my belief too. We're all of us, our, our body, our chemicals, we, we all go to go, our spirit, it all, all comes together. You're absolutely right. And that's when we call ourselves holistic, what it means to us is we have to treat the damage from addictions to the mind, the body, the spirit, and the environment. All four of those elements have to heal for full recovery. We do not do talk therapy. We don't believe in it. We have group therapy, education group therapy, educating them on addictions, on the brain, on diet, and all of that. We have seven counselors. A lot of the work is being done in individual counseling. It's much more successful. People up, open up more. They start trusting these counselors. So that's uh, the mental health counselor works with now we have to do what traditional treatment does. We have to look at the insanity of the person keep picking up the thing that's killing them, the drugs and the alcohol. So there has to be a shift in their thinking. And she works on that. Most people come here, their, their thinking is negative. They don't like themselves. We have to change that around. So that's all with individual counseling. The biochemical I talked about, a lot of labs. I can go over all these labs. We do pyroluria. Pyroluria is a blood condition, causes anxiety, irritability. This is on the internet. We don't make it up. Anxiety, irritability, fatigue, poor short memory, little or low, no dream recall, mood swings, frequent infections, on and on and on. Poor tolerance, poor diet, pale complexion, 
uh, white fingernails and severe anxiety. What it is, if you have that condition, you're becoming deficient in zinc and B6, which are crucial for relieving anxiety and a lot of other things. So really pulling back that balance, that biochemical balance, and making sure that people have optimal nutrition. Yes. And and how does that play into like repairing the the you know I want to say the body and brain, but I also want to say the spirit, you know, because it's all connected to in, in my opinion. One, one other, other you know, one other thing that is incredible after the over forty after over twenty five years, we do a four hour glucose tolerance test. Every alcoholic, this is more prominent in alcoholics. Every alcoholic, but three that we've tested have hypoglycemia. What that means, it's a it's a blood sugar imbalance. The blood sugar goes too high, comes down here and crashes. You feel sweaty, irritable. You drink, get it back up. And if that's not corrected, people are going to have one hard time staying sober. So, and basically, the, the main fix is a healthy diet, getting them to eat regular, getting them to eat regular foods, getting them off. The, we get people off the sugar and the junk food. Diet's very important with this. Exercise is important. They get Reiki, they get acupuncture, they get yoga. They get FSM stimulation, which is now being used in big hospitals. It's phenomenal for, for treating people with, with anxiety or trauma or that kind of thing. They get alpha stim. Uh, they get an, so mind, body, the spirit is very important. In our belief, spirituality, what it means is the, the ability for the person to feel love for themselves, their family, their animals, their friends, nature, maybe a connection with a higher power. The ability to feel love for these things and feeling love for ourselves is what gives all human beings a quality life. And that's exactly what drugs and alcohol can damage or actually sever these important connections. So we have a spiritual counselor. He takes our clients out a beautiful nature walk for about five hours. And in nature, he explores with them. What did you feel love for when you were younger? And he helps them recall that of how, how much love they felt for a horse or a cat or, or a parent or a friend. Right, I loved yeah. her. That's my friend. I loved hiking with her out up in the mountains when I, and that and my alcohol drug took all that away. So when people come from us, come to us, every one of them, you ask them, "What do you feel love for?" I can't feel love for anything. I hate myself. I don't where I'm. I don't like where I'm at. So he, when they come back, and then he asks them, you know, where where are these loving connections now? And they talk about that. You know, well, I don't. I don't. I screwed up my family. I find all of this stuff. And then when he comes back, he works with them individually to start learning how to reconnect these connections, how to, yes, they have to start making amends. They have to, they have to forgive themselves. They are a victim of this illness. They're not the cause of this. Nobody in their right mind would do this to themselves if they were healthy and rational. So they have to start forgiving themselves and they have to be now responsible is just as if they had cancer for the illness not to come back. That's a big part of it yeah. too. That's a little bit difficult with young people, but we yeah, we and I would imagine it. you know that that fundamental piece of 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 love and care and and compassion, I, it's so hard to manifest those when you are in you're anxious and you're depressed and you're in that imbalance because you know, you, you can't feel those things if you're so out of whack because your body is you know kind of <laughs> yeah out of balance. Yeah. I, I, I use this example because alcoholics are very selfish, self-centered, always thinking of themselves. Imagine this. If you if Mother Teresa was in a car accident and broke her leg, do you think she'd be spiritual? No. She'd say, get me to the hospital. I can't tolerate this pain. She becomes selfish and self-centered. Yeah. That's 
exactly what alcoholics and addicts should do. They're just like you said, they're in so much pain. All they can think about is how can I get relief? Drugs and alcohol is all they know. Yes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, what I see in people in recovery like yourself, you know, once you get out of that piece and you bring that balance back in your life, you do want to give to people. It's like a natural part of, I think, being human is to help other people who are suffering. It's in our, you know, 99% of us, it's in our core nature to do that, I believe, you know, and it's there. But if we're out of balance and we can't get to that, then we're really, we are, we kind of turn into that self-focused person. When I look back at my beginning, I realized that what I was doing, the one thing I was doing was trying to connect with other people, with friends, but I, I was doing it through drugs and alcohol. So you're absolutely right. I think for all of us, there's, there's a need to be connected. We want that. We want to feel love for our family, our friends. Things get in the way of that, especially drugs and alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. And and being able to kind of walk through this. And I also like what you're saying is looking at this from that very holistic view that all these pieces come together. And, you know, I, I think back probably when you went into the psych ward, you know, uh, 50 years ago, that, you know, they, no one knew a lot of the stuff that we know now. They didn't know what to do, you know, like, we're just going to, all right, hey, don't do that. It's not good for you. I mean, you already know it, but they didn't know what to do either. Their, their belief was if we fixed you emotionally, if we figure out what damage happened to you as a child with your parents, and right. you can express those feelings, which is important, but it, that's not a cure for alcohol and drug addiction. I mean, it's a part of it, but it's not, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that goes to that whole holistic piece like yeah that, that that's a piece of it but we have to treat the whole the whole being the yeah. whole person we have to treat ourselves in that way so the mind the body the spirit and then environment is important and in a balance we have a, one of the counselors is called a life coach her job is to figure out with that person what they need to do when they leave they involve family do they need to, if they're young do they need to go sober living What's the home life environment? So that's critical too. And that, and then they can stay connected with that life coach for up to a year. That's included in the program. No other treatment center I know does that. You, it's crazy. And this life coach, they get 22 sessions to use throughout the year. Most of them use them more upfront, but that connection with the life coach can be critical. I think we get about a 70% success rate, but don't quote me because nobody does a study. It's too hard. You have to get an outside agency. It's very expensive, and you have to get a year res uh, consent release from family and friends to verify the person's sober. But just feedback from our life coach, that means 30% of our people experience a relapse. But if they're connected with this life coach, it's critical that life coach can help them look at what happened, get back on track. Maybe they need to come back for a couple weeks for a refresher, but they have that connection, which is critical. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we need we need to be connected to others to be able to to heal ourselves. I was kind of a saying sometimes we heal through the eyes of others, you know, as we walk through our pain and our hurt and someone else like that lady in the 12 step pointing at you and going, "Hey, you yes. need to get a sponsor. You needed to hear yes. that, you needed to know that in that moment and and that person was there for you." Joe, it's been awesome. So, your book. Tell me about the book. I've got, and I I've got Anybody an offer, if they want to order the book free, okay, uh, it's on us. They can call Interbalance Health Center, 800-900-2252 or interbalancehealthcenter.com and give us a few weeks and we'll get it out to you. It's about 
uh, I, it's funny how I got into it. I was looking for an author. I, I wanted to write a book about this. This lady came to me, and unbeknownst to me, her kid was having trouble with drugs and alcohol, but she came to me for writing a book. After we started writing the book, and it was mainly going to be my journey through this, but it ended up being her journey as a family person and through her struggles with her son, who was into heroin and other drugs. He almost died with some dealers. They almost killed him. He, he almost oh. lost his leg in the hospital, and this is a disaster. But he, she hang in there. We communicated all the time, and he finally came around. He's sober. He got, I think it's 10 years. He's married. His life is great. So it's kind of a, it looks at my journey in the beginning and, and then what I healed and her journey in the beginning and how she healed and then his journey. So it's, it's, I think it's, it's not a novel. So don't expect a novel. It's a self-help book, but it can help, it can help families or even addicted people if they want to understand the power of addiction and a way out about the biochemical stuff. Yes. So let me give the title. It's uh, Leaving Drug and Alcohol Addiction for Good, How Biochemical Restoration Radically Improves Your Chances of Recovery. I'm going to put those in the show notes. I'll put the put the 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 phone number in the show notes too so so that people can call you at theaddictedmind.com. So if anybody's interested, they can go and check that out. The, uh, the, the writer was Sharon Montgomery, a, a wonderful lady, and her story's in there too. Oh, that's that's awesome. So, okay, before we totally wrap up, I always like to ask one question. And sure. if someone out there is struggling and you could tell them one thing, what would you want them to know? Don't give up. No matter how far down you've gone, there is hope, there is a solution, and there is a way out. But it's going to take the first step that you have to make is reaching out to help, to find people that can help you. And that's a big step. And I needed help. I needed somebody to get in my face and say, you know, you, you need to turn this around. And so there were different points. My mother, you know, doing it. So if there's somebody out there, just reach out for help. It, it, it's not going to hurt to make a phone call. It's, it's not going to hurt to look into things. And then hang in there and get hope. My God, if I can make it, and a lot of friends I know who went through hell too can make it. I know anybody can make it, but we can't do it alone. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Awesome, Joe. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story and your wisdom with the Addicted Mind audience. I just appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. My cell phone is 970-689-7575. Again, 970-689-7575. The office is 800-922-52. Even if you don't come into our program, I'd like, I could give you some advice maybe. I'm, I'm working with a, a couple out there that are struggling with a son. He's not ready, but we communicate. And wherever he goes is fine. I just I want to get him help. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll put all those links in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. So if you don't remember them now, just go there and you can find all those, all those numbers as well and be able to reach out to you. Joe, thanks again for coming on. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com where you can get a copy of Joe's book. So check that out. And if you got a lot out of this episode, think about sharing it with a friend or write a review in iTunes. That really does help the podcast get found. I really appreciate it. And they mean a lot to me as well. And don't forget, so you can get the latest episodes, click the subscribe button in whatever podcast app you use. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode.
It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.